Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is interview number 41, the companion episode to Laser Hoddle with the entrepreneur and Bitcoin educator, Carlos Fenman, the Bitcoin coach. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. For those who know about Bitcoin, my last episode with Laser Huddle was probably a treat. But if you don't know the first thing about Bitcoin, besides what you've heard on the news, that entire episode might have been a giant WTF. How can software be money? What does that have to do with sovereignty? How does Bitcoin even work? And why should I trust it? I knew going into the podcast that for Bitcoin novices, those would be the big questions. Since Laser Huddle is a domain expert, however, I felt our time together would be better spent at the graduate level. So to pair with his podcast, I contacted another man, my friend Carlos Fenman, the Bitcoin coach, to answer more ground-level questions. Because in summer 2020, Carlos was the man who orange-pilled me. And in case it isn't obvious, the orange pill is like the red pill, only related to Bitcoin. Once you take the orange pill, your world will never be the same. Carlos graciously agreed to come on the podcast and start from zero, in the hopes that he could fill in some of the gaps between Laser Huddle's knowledge and yours, and perhaps even mine. In our conversation, we discussed the process of Bitcoin mining, where Bitcoin comes from, and what a blockchain is, how Bitcoin differs from crypto, including the altcoin Ethereum, how Bitcoin isn't a perfect system, but a resilient system, able to stand up to multiple different kinds of attacks, which we might be seeing soon. The anonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto, and why no one knows who he is. And Carlos' own Bitcoin coaching services, and how he can get you and your family up to speed to protect your hard-earned generational wealth, and more. Quick note for those of you listening on audio only, there's a visual component in Carlos' slides, which will be showing up on YouTube. So head over there to watch the whole presentation, and there'll be a chapter marker for that portion. And for those on Spotify and Apple, there's a link to that in the description. Now, as you might imagine, Bitcoin is a lifelong pursuit. At the end of two hours, we're not going to get you to laser hodl level. But my hope is, after this conversation, you'll understand why the only wrong amount of Bitcoin to own is zero. This episode is sponsored by Deepwell Designs, makers of fine silver and stone jewelry, handmade in the Western United States. Keep listening for more information or hit the link in the description for more. And if you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and review on both Apple and Spotify. Those go a long way towards helping us reach more people. And be sure to share this podcast with your friends. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, our resident orange pill pharmacist, my friend, Carlos Fenman, the Bitcoin coach. Carlos Fenman, the Bitcoin coach, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Will. 
I really appreciate you being willing to do this because I knew going into the podcast with Laser Hoddle, we'd probably go deep into the why of Bitcoin and assume a um, an experienced or knowledgeable audience um, as much as possible. And so, you know, I had the thought like, well, what if people don't know much about the mechanics of it, the what of it? And so I immediately thought of you and wanted to um, have a conversation with you where maybe we get the chance to answer some questions that Laser Hoddle's podcast raise and go over um, some of the some of the basics and some of the more important questions related to Bitcoin. So I really appreciate you uh, being willing to do this. Perfect. And, and I think it's a good idea because I, I love uh, the podcast with, with Laser Hoddle and how you went you know, really deep into the whys. Right. But a lot of people, I think, don't realize like, what makes Bitcoin different and what makes it tick. So they're kind of um, taking our word for it. And I think that, you know, Bitcoin is, is a proof of work uh, thing, not just in the way the mining works, but also like in order for you to really trust Bitcoin, you need to put in the work of understanding what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And then that term proof of work is is uh, so important. And, and just a quick note to the people that are listening on the podcast, just another reminder that uh, we're going to be going through some slides. Um, and so you may want to pop over to YouTube at some point and, and listen as we, as we work through the slides related to um, Carlos's uh, teaching program um, while where he gets the chance to actually coach people. This is why he's the Bitcoin coach to coach people through the process, you know, of uh, ramping up on Bitcoin to the point where um, they understand what it's about. And that's actually what you and I did Carlos, like back in, I think it was summer 2020, um, when uh, I decided, like, let's, let's check out this Bitcoin thing I've been hearing about. What did it take? It took, what, like two two conversations for me to be like, yep, I'm in. I get it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, when I when I first got into Bitcoin, I, you know, I, I, I enthusiastically tried to orange pill my friends and, uh, you know, oh, you should buy Bitcoin. It's awesome. Blah, 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 blah. And a few did. And then, of course, the, the big crash of 2018 came, and so some panicked and law and, and you know sold and and lost money, and the ones who didn't, um, it turned out that they had bought so little that they really didn't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, you know th that that realization led me to understand that it, you we have to do a better job of helping people onboard onto Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And, and when I, when I started, I like, I would ask people, all right, so, you know, what are your questions? And I realized that most people just don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, there's, it's, it's so like Bitcoin is pretty wide in the term of, in, in the ways of the different approaches you could take to, to understanding it. So what I, what I've tried to do is to create this basic, uh, knowledge base right that that people can can absorb and then all right like now i understand sort of what i'm doing and why i'm doing it and and where it's going and so from there you know you need to you need to keep doing your own study but at least you have like a solid grounding because at the beginning it can be intimidating mm -hmm. yeah and we're actually having this conversation so when laser hodl and i talked it was last thursday then there was this big dip that happened over the weekend which we're now sitting on the other side yeah. of so hopefully which is like which is fine like that's kind of that's kind of part of it like once you understand once you understand understand how bitcoin in my experience anyway once you understand how it works what it does what it's for 
the nature of the environment that it exists in and what it it's essentially has to say about that environment, big dips are to be expected and are opportunities. You know, it's not like a it's not like a stock where a, a stock price crash signals some instability within the corporation because the CEO, you know, had some sort of scandal right. or, you know, some sort of new technology didn't work out or whatever. It doesn't it doesn't really work like that. It's subject to to very different forces, but people don't really understand how well A, they don't understand how to think about money to begin with, and B, they don't know how to think about the value of money that oscillates in the way that Bitcoin does and once you learn to see that then it's like oh okay bitcoin's on sale <laughs> like hold on while i just get some more exactly and you know none of us have have ever lived through a technology becoming money right this is yes. a new phenomenon <laughs> that's a great point and, and it's you know the market will try to shake you off right mm-hmm. and like one of the things that i that i like about the work i do and and the way i do it is like with this dip, you know, I didn't get a single message from any of my clients being concerned. Mm-hmm. Like the few that I that I got was was uh, things like I just up forty percent, you know, my my allocation to Bitcoin by forty percent, wow. or I'm buying the dip. You know, they were happy with it because they understand it's a long term proposition. They're not I, look. There's people that um, are traders and they they're good at speculating with it. That's that's not me. Like I'm not a buy low, uh, sell high type of, uh, that, that's not my skill. That That's not my mentality. For me, it's more, of, you know, what makes sense to buy and hold for the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we like laser huddle talked about how he had gone from, you know, zero to 99% and how difficult it was to go from 99 to a hundred percent. And, you know, not everyone has to, or is going to to get there. Right. And you don't need to do it right away. It's, you know, I think people in many different ways are really used to this, you know, all or nothing kind of thinking like, oh, if I have any cash in my wallet or any cash in my checking account, you know, I need to, I need to switch all over to Bitcoin or they, they look at it as some sort of get, you know, casino kind of property was a get rich quick or, or because that's so much of crypto. It's like, no, no, you have to relearn how to think about technology and how to think about money for the long-term separation from the fiat everything system, you know, like, and that's what I loved. Another thing I loved about, you know, listening to laser huddle and other podcasts. And on this one, it's like fiat money, fiat food, fiat science. It's like, wow, it just summoned out of thin air. And if you want an exit from that, you go to Bitcoin, which is not about fiat. It's about actual proof of work, the, the creation, the, the genuine creation of something, as opposed to just some sort of money magic out of which, you know, nothing is woven out of whole cloth. Something is woven out of nothing, I suppose. And, and it's astonishing how pervasive this, this becomes. I mean, the extent to which fake money permeates the rest of the culture is something that uh, I think for most of us is unexpected until until you start seeing it, it's very invisible. And it, there's just this feeling of dislocation and this feeling of, of, of things that don't make sense, blah, blah. And then once once you sort of understand that, oh, it's it's the money is rotten, mm-hmm. you know, and how that how that really impacts everything else, uh, it's it's quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just if you if you build a civilization, you build a society on on top of money, and the money is rotten, you know, 
if you plant something in, in polluted soil, what are you going to get? You're going to get polluted fruit, right? Gonna, right. Yeah. And so that's that's the nature of our money that I, that people just don't understand. And it's such a it's such an incrimination of everything, our, our educational system, first of all, um, that people don't actually understand that, you know, this is that money is summoned out of nothing. It's summoned out of debt. And it's it's created by a, a group of private banks that loan it to the United States and others at interest. Like it's people don't understand that they hear the term federal Federal Reserve. That word is probably like <laughs> the best branding ever. Like they should study that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's and when you read, you know, you, you watch a, a a series like Bill Stills, The Money Masters on YouTube. And I haven't read right. The Creature from Jekyll Island, but certainly I know how strongly oh, recommended it is. It's a yeah. Good one. Yeah, exactly. I've got it in my Amazon card. I should just order the thing. But, you know, you it's like, why don't people know this? Well, obviously, there's reasons why people don't know this, but it's such an incrimination of our entire system that what it's all built on, this dollar that I'm sure I've got a dollar sitting right over there, is it's it's that's worth nothing. It's worth nothing just because we just agree that it kind of it's worth something because we just agree that it is. And and that's, a, you know, the whole thing. I think I think one of your presidents said something like, if people understood how money works, there'd be a revolution, you know, by by the next morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a reason why we're not taught these things. Yes. And so for those listening, Carlos does not live in the United States. He is a, right. he, he is, he's a foreigner, but we like him anyway, a lot. And, and on that note, uh, I, I like to tell my clients that money is kind of like electricity, right? Uh, we use it every day. But we, most of us don't really understand what's going on, what it takes for us to be able to use it in that sort of brainless manner. And, and once you start looking at how the sausages are made, it's like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think, um, and we'll get to the slideshow just in a minute here, but I think that's the thing that 2020 and beyond I mean, it's probably going to be 2020 forever. Let's like the, ostensibly the, the calendar <laughs> says like 2022, but we're still in 2020 as far as I'm right. concerned. So it's, a it's, it's completely as time, time is a psyop. Oh, don't get started on that. But, um, but I think people realize that all these things that were effortless and frictionless and just kind of like conveniently worked or, or whatever, or we just took for granted suddenly have become so much more difficult and the need, and it's not just a, it's it's a it's a need to question everything that grew out of essentially nowhere. Like, wait a minute, everything is a lie. I pick this up: the food, water, you know, electromagnetic frequencies, etc. And this paper, like, suddenly it's very much like waking up in the matrix, and everything that I believe was a lie. Well, yeah, kind of, you know, for some people, for some people. And so that's the that's the exciting thing about this moment. And this is why. I was excited about the conversation with Laser Hollow because he laid it out so clearly that yeah. there is a component of like, well, you know, okay, so I'm 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 gonna get under the barbell, I'm gonna start eating steak, I'm gonna start getting in the sun, I'm gonna start reading my Bible and all these things. And yet um there's still something else we gotta do. And that something else we gotta do is figure out what to do about money to separate from the system. And the answer to that is Bitcoin. And it was profoundly empowering to hear him lay out that conversation. Right, which is one of the things that people need to understand. This is not just about, bro, put your money in Bitcoin and you're going to double it or you're going to make 10x. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, we hope that happens and that'll be nice. But it's it's also um, one of the most powerful things you can do to protest against the current state of things 
is to deprive the machine of its fuel. Mm -hmm. So when you opt to this alternative money system, you're starving that machine of fuel because most of, you know, most of the uh, apparatus that is oppressive uh, is, is basically able to run because they control the money. Mm-hmm. That's what fuels their, their, their machinery. Yes. So, uh, so there's, there's a lot more than, than just making uh, some nice profits. Oh yeah, and and even that laser huddle tied it to the to the vaccine imperialist agenda that countries access to credit Absolutely. creation is tied to that. It's like oh, that explains it. That it's not, it's not just tied to money. And this this is the really important distinction. The really important nuance is that it's not like pallets of cash are being delivered like we gave to Iran. It's credit creation. It's the ability to spend yeah. money recklessly that it's tied to, which is not which is in some sense the same as the creation of money. But in another sense, is actually far more um, pernicious because it can just happen with a snap of a finger. Like, congratulations, there are now additional zeros in your bank account. Enjoy, and and it makes it so much more e- so much easier. And that's you know that there's so much less friction makes yeah. this imperialist agenda um, m- flow much more smoothly than if pallets of cash or bars of gold needed to be moved around the world. Right. The, the idea, I mean, the, the common meme of, uh, you know, money printer goes burr. It's, it's funny, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, I, I've lived in countries where that's happened, right? Where, where like they've actually printed money and, and devalued the currency. These days, uh, it's a lot more subtle mm-hmm. and, and a lot more pernicious for that, for that subtleness, right? Just click mm-hmm. of a button. And, you know, when you remember that the government has no money, Right, right. That it's your money, mm-hmm. and that they're borrowing from the future to mm. to to create this credit. Uh, you know, those are the sorts of things that we need to start working on understanding, so that we can appreciate sort of the magnitude both of what's happening now, and how Bitcoin is an important part of preventing uh, a lot of different bad things happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and we'll get let's let's jump in right now. And I just want to say that if you look at the proportion of government spending that is driven by taxes versus driven by debt, you know that answers the question, right? All right. So let's. So what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to jump into your uh, to your presentation and just uh, we'll rip through it, and you and I'll just have a dialogue as you as you uh, as you go through the slides and cover the topics that you know are related to some of the things that Laser Hoddle said. I have some questions, and then you know there's your standard kind of uh, approach to to ramping people up on Bitcoin who are who are at zero because the goal is to get them off to zero, off of that zero, and onto another zero. Right, get off of zero, and uh, yeah. So what we're about to go through one of my uh, standard conversations. It's usually the second or third conversation I have with people, with people, and it's called uh, "How does Bitcoin work?" And there are bits that that get a little into the weeds technically because we have to, right? Mm-hmm. But hopefully, uh, we'll be able to use that to highlight. Uh, also, some of the differences between Bitcoin and other crypto, and and for those who who don't realize this yet, Bitcoin and crypto are not the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bitcoin is the real deal, and crypto is uh, chips in the casino, mm-hmm. right? And you can gamble at the casino, and if you're having fun, that's fine. Just don't think that you're buying gold when you're buying casino chips. 
I just, I remember the first time you told me the term shit coins and I just, that's still my oh, yeah. favorite term. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For, for months you, you giggled at me. It was fun. I still do. <laughs> it's just excellent anti-branding. Okay. I'll let you, I'll let you jump into it. Like go for it. Well, Cause I'll just giggle about shit coin quietly so, in the background. So speaking of crypto, right. Uh, one of the interesting things about Bitcoin is that it's actually not encrypted. Right. One way to think about Bitcoin and, and its transactions is to think of emails, right? Uh, we're sending text messages uh, amongst each other. And the crypto part of things comes from crypt cryptographic tools like keys and signatures and hashes, some of which we'll discuss today. But the actual information that's running or coursing through the blockchain itself is transparent. It's human readable. Right, and it looks like something like we have on the screen. This may not be obvious to you what the hell this means, but point being is text that anybody can read. It's not encrypted per se, mm -hmm. and uh, it is in fact so transparent that people come up with with dashboards which display that information and and interpret it. So at any given point in time, you can see how many Bitcoin have been issued, uh, how many transactions are are working their way through the system. Uh, how much value was uh, processed yesterday, et cetera. And if you run your own node, you can look up this information by yourself, right? I remember um, in one of my conversations, I was making the point that we don't really know how much gold there is in Fort Knox, mm -hmm. right? And uh, my boomer client was like, no, 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 we do know because there was a report and this <laughs> guy said on TV, I'm like, bro, Bro, you know what that guy told you, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have a clue as yeah. to what the hell is inside Fort Knox or not. With Bitcoin, you actually can go and query the system yourself on your computer, you're running your software, and you can see what the the situation is. Mm -hmm. And that's 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 really important. That's almost that's transformative. This idea that you know, and a lot of, and we can get into the privacy question later about this, but that it is open, and there's nothing, and there's nothing hidden. You know, there's like you said, it's very, very transparent, and that, and there's a lot of positives that come with that um, as well. Right, and you mentioned privacy, which we'll discuss in a bit. But indeed, one of the challenges is being able to keep the the, the system uh, permissionless and transparent, and making it private. Right, mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to do. What some people you know, seem to think, like, oh, there's this privacy switch they could just flip on. And why don't they? Well, no, if if you want to keep these other attributes, like some of the privacy coins, for example, uh, yeah, they're private, but they're so private that you that you can't know how many coins exist. Mm -hmm. So you have to trust mm. them that they're, you know, emitting the number of coins they say they are. That's very So okay, it's a tricky it. balance. That's very interesting. Like, yeah, because if because what would you make what would you make private if you pseudonymize? You can still trans. You can still track the amounts that are going from place to place. So we'd want to obscure the amounts. But when you obscure the amounts, who has access to find out how many coins are actually in the system? Um, and then that you then you create a hierarchy instead of being open and transparent. It's very interesting. So when we talk about a blockchain, what does that mean? Well. Uh... Yeah, it's a chain of blocks, right? So what's a block? A block is basically a group of transactions. And Bitcoin tries to produce a new block every 10 minutes uh, on average. 
Each block uh, has a four megabyte size limit in Bitcoin. Most blocks are about two or three megabytes and hold between 2,500 to 3,000 transactions. So that is um, a well-known constraint, right? Uh, if you want to have a system with 10,000 transactions, uh, yeah, well, that's not Bitcoin for the moment, right? Right. Now, systems in real life have constraints, right? That's just... That's just the reality of, of things. And what, what Bitcoin tries has tried to do is, is to optimize for those constraints. And the constraints were designed very specifically to achieve certain things. And, and we'll get into that uh, as we go into the presentation. Okay. <clears throat> so the seed of each new block chains it to the previous one, right? So one of the reasons we call it a blockchain is because each block contains the seed that will help create the next block. And they're, they're sort of, they, you can't break that history without, without uh, it, if your block is to be valid, it needs to be linked to the previous one and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. So that's why we call it a blockchain. Now, uh, the word Bitcoin refers to many things, a software, a technology, the, the cryptocurrency. It also refers to a network, right? And this is a picture of the Bitcoin network. Uh, there are over 14,000 nodes presently uh, known, and they're spread, you know, pretty much all over. And as, as you have experienced, it's fairly easy to run a node. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an inexpensive device. And... Um, and once you get it up and going, it's it's fairly fairly maintenance free. So what what exactly is a node? It's just a computer running uh, Bitcoin software, right? And it should be frequently connected to the internet because Bitcoin software is uh, is very connected, right? It's all about connecting with other peers. And before, when you when you start running a node, it's like it's like a Telegram chat. Right when you go into the chat and you have like two thousand messages that you're behind on, mm -hmm. <laughs> except in the blockchain, uh, you can't write anything new until you catch up with all of the chat. Right, so when you okay. start syncing your node, uh, what it does is it starts downloading every single transaction from the very first block, and and not just downloading it but verifying it. Right, the Bitcoin software has the rules of what a good uh, transaction, uh, what a good transaction is, and it verifies that each transaction is compliant with the rules. Mm -hmm. So this takes a while. It's called the initial sync, and this process takes uh, takes a little while. Yeah, but, I think it took me about maybe 48 hours or something like that once I plugged the node and got it running. Right. Now, yours was mostly synced already. But oh, okay. If you if you get it from scratch, it could take you a week, depending on your internet connection. Right. Got it. Oh, okay, that explains a lot because I talked to my buddy Sean, and uh, he's like, "Oh, mine's still syncing." I was like, "Mine went really fast. What's the difference?" That that explains it. Right. You were only like a couple of weeks behind. Got it. Right. Uh, and this is crucially important. You don't need permission to run a node. You just buy off-the-shelf hardware, and download the software and start running it, and you don't need to tell anyone. And you don't need any sort of uh, license or any special anything, right? Mm -hmm. This is very, very important. Um, 
So there are different types of computer networks, right? Uh, the typical network that we're, we're used to is a centralized network like the bank, right? Where there's a server. And so the lady at the window, you know, if, if you're trying to do some transaction and the server is down, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, our system is down. Thank you. That's because it's a very centralized system. Now, centralized system have their strengths. They're very fast. They're very efficient. And you have a single source of truth for everything. But that also makes them vulnerable because if the server's down, you're kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not just a theoretical concern. Uh, this is how the uh, Fedwire system operates. The Fedwire is responsible for all transactions between banks and all U.S. international transactions. And I, in February of last year, I think, uh, the, the server crashed <laughs> and it was down for a couple of hours. So imagine all interbank and all U.S. international money transactions frozen and, and, and you're watching this on Twitter and they're like, well, we're restarting the server. <laughs> you know, it took them hours <laughs> to get this back up. A total clown show, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, centralized systems uh, have, have their risks. In a decentralized system, uh, there's no master server, right? So there's no single point of failure. They're a lot more resistant uh, against network failures because if, once, if one machine goes down, the other ones just take up the slack. It doesn't really matter. But it also makes them a lot slower and a lot less efficient, right? Mm -hmm. And it also begs the question, if there's not like the, the master server, then who makes the rules and who enforces them, right? And so the way Bitcoin works is there, there are consensus rules in which there is no higher authority there's we say rules not rulers right mm -hmm. when you when you raise your hand and you say i want to play here and and you run up your node then you are you're you're saying that you're abiding by those rules and if you reprogram your node to run by a different rule set you'll sort of automatically get kicked out of the network so you'll be free to play with other people who want to run the same rules as you but that will no longer be Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of the early shitcoins were kind of like this. They just took the code of Bitcoin. So for example, Litecoin, right? They said, all right, we're going to grab Bitcoin, but instead of 21 million, we'll do, I don't remember what the number is, but I'll, I'll make it up, uh, 480 million. And mm -hmm. instead of uh, one block every 10 minutes, we'll do a block every two minutes, you know? But it's basically, the rest of it is almost identical to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and so if, if somebody wants to play the Litecoin game, they can run the Litecoin node, blah, blah, blah. But it's not, it's not Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now, most other blockchains are distributed. What does that mean? Because they, they claim they're decentralized as well. Uh, the reality is uh, not so much. It means, yes, there's computers in different places of the world that are running uh, their software, but... Uh, it's hard, like their nodes are difficult to run. Mm -hmm. uh, they require powerful machines, very high speed connections, uh, a lot of know-how. Uh, there's, there's a guy, uh, Jameson Lopp, which every year runs a test in which he tries to run nodes from different cryptos. And it's very enlightening. Um, you know, and, and, and now, like he's got a, a machine that was really powerful in 2018. And now he can't run most of the nodes because he runs out of memory. He's got, I think, a 32 gigabyte 
RAM or something and a mm-hmm. terabyte drive, but that's not enough to run most of these things now. Oh so, my gosh. Um, so one of the problem with most cryptos is, and you can ask like whenever somebody tells you, oh, Ethereum is decentralized and decentralization is a spectrum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The, the, the actually guy, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Actually. like Ethereum is the, the, the Ethereum is more decentralized than Facebook for sure. But ask the yeah. guy if he runs an Ethereum node, right? And most likely the answer will be no, because it's a pain in the ass. So they wind up trusting uh, those nodes, and and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So all right, you've spun up your node. So that node, the first thing it does is it connects to the internet. It looks for for some friends. It looks for some peers, and it connects with with eight or so nodes. And it starts um, they they start gossiping about transactions. What's <laughs> what's new? Does anybody have any new transactions? All right, here we go. And they start chatting between each other, right? And if a node drops, let's say you life light goes off at your house and your node drops. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anybody you were connected with will just pick a different node and and take it from there, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really affect anything. And the nodes are the nodes are chosen by geographic location or no, um, kind of like signal. I, like, I, good question. I don't know the exact answer. Uh, I believe it's it's kind of random. Okay. So you, one of your nodes could be, you know, down the street, and the other could be across the the, the the world right and whenever let's say if 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 you are sending me some sats in your in your wallet right whatever you whenever you push send what actually happens is your wallet sends that transaction to a node mm-hmm. if if you're if you're like a full citizen bitcoiner then of course it's your own node right that processes that transaction but for most people it's somebody else's node so mm-hmm. that node will take your transaction and verify it, say, well, Will says he wants to send some sats to this guy. Does he have enough? Is the signature correct? Is the address right? Blah, 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 blah. Verifies everything. And if everything checks out, then it transmits that transaction to its peer nodes and okay. says, hey, here's a new transaction. Now, those peer nodes, they don't take your node's word for it. They also take the transaction and verify everything about it. Right, mm-hmm. they they go through the exact same process that your node did, and if it's fine, then they they pass it on. But if something about your transaction is fishy or wrong, then it dies inside that little box. Right, it doesn't get out into the into the wider network, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons it's hard to cheat with Bitcoin because transactions need to work in order to spread. It's very hard for an invalid transaction to spread. All right, so it's run on validation. Got it. And so, okay, here we go. Yeah, boarding gate to the blockchain. So, so what sort of things? Sorry, what sort of things mean a transaction might be invalid? Just an improper signature, like just just an example of what a, a peer a, a peer node network might flag. Right, an improper signature, or you uh, let's say that for whatever reason a miner uh, tries to pay himself more than what he should, right? Uh, 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 an incorrect address that doesn't uh, exist. So it could be a number of things. They're fairly rare, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I, I haven't had the experience of running across 
a, a weird transaction, which it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's just, yeah, it, just it's rare. not frequent. Yeah. So your the nodes that you're connected to, your peer nodes, they're connected to other peer nodes as well, right? So when a transaction is in transit, right, it hasn't really been added to the blockchain yet. So it's in this sort of limbo state, right, which is called the mempool. The mempool, each node has a little memory set aside for, for the mempool, and it puts already verified transactions there that are not yet in the blockchain, right? And I say it's it's like a boarding gate because it's like, you know, if you if you buy a ticket to a plane, you're at the airport, you're at the boarding gate, you're not on the plane yet. You haven't, you haven't, but you know, but you have your ticket. And that's kind of where a transaction is. Now, each node has a slightly different version of the mempool because like you were asking, maybe, Maybe one of your nodes is in China, but you know one of my connected peers is in Italy, and so the transactions arrive at different times, right? Mm -hmm. So each each one has its own little view of the of the mempool, so to speak. Uh, and and this is what like the mempool. Sometimes it's very busy. Sometimes it's empty. Like if a lot of people want to push their transactions through, then uh, the mempool gets filled up. Transactions become more expensive, fees become more expensive because there's a limited space, you know? So if all the blocks are full, it's like if a plane is very full and you want to buy a ticket, it's going to be more expensive than if the plane were empty, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing happens with transactions. Sometimes if you want to send the transaction and the mempool is full, what you do is you wait for the weekend and usually things get quieter on the weekend and then you can get your transaction through cheaper. But if you're in a rush, maybe you have to pay a premium price. Got it. Right? And that's a market. So um, now we move on to the miners. Miners are uh, the ones who take those transactions from the mempool, put them into blocks, and then start competing to try to add the next block to the blockchain. Right, and they compete uh, using something called proof of work mining, which requires them to spend energy. Mm -hmm. Right, and the, so they're 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 trying to find the new block, add it to the blockchain, and they're they're burning electricity to do that. Right now, and and we'll get into that process uh, in more detail in a bit. But the thing to understand is, once a miner finds a block. It's not immediately, magically, and irreversibly added to the blockchain. They broadcast it to the network just like their transactions. And the, the network of, of nodes like yours and mine, those little machines, verify that the block is also good and valid. Right? If a miner tries to get away with any sort of shenanigan on his block, like paying himself more or whatever, our nodes uh, will reject that block and the miner won't get paid. So nodes like the ones that we run at home keep the network and the miners honest. Right? So mm -hmm. the real power uh, doesn't reside with the miners, it resides with the full nodes because they only get paid if they produce valid uh, blocks. Now, so, uh, sorry, there's real some... Let me real yeah. quick question. So you have um, the peer groups from the nodes that are processing 
uh, various transactions, trying to get the transactions into the mempool. So you have, say you have a, a peer node group that's located, you know, over in Italy, and then there's another one on the other side of the world here in America, and they have two slightly or perhaps even massively different sets of sets of transactions that are trying to make their way, you know, into into a block. Um, yeah. If if let's say let's say so to make sure that I understand, let's say the a block is mined over in over closer to the the Italian peer group. And so those yeah. transactions get placed into the block. And then the ones over here in America would make their way into a block later or would, I mean, how, how do you, at what, what stage yes. would the American block get pushed in at some point for sure, right? Excellent. Excellent question. And, and I think it's like the next slide. So oh, bear perfect. with me and I'll Great. get to it. So, yeah. Perfect. But it's a, it's a very pertinent question. So the the sum of all of this right the 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 mining and the verification the proof of work blah, blah blah is called nakamoto consensus that's like the, that's what the the whole mechanism is called right the rules plus the proof of work mm -hmm. so when uh and i was wrong it's it's the slide after this one i think but mm -hmm. we'll get to your question very sure uh once a miner finds a block right you can think of this as your transaction has now boarded the plane, right? You're now on the plane. And by the way, the, the miner can choose which transactions to process. Uh, miners mm. are kind of like the, the gate lady in the plane. If you paid first class, meaning if you paid a high fee for your transaction, you're getting on right away. Uh, if you paid for cheap seats, then you may or may not get on depending on my mood, uh, how full the plane is, et cetera, et cetera. You might have to wait till the next one. Okay. Right. So, so, so if I'm, so in, in the question that I was asking then, if one set of transactions are, are uh, on the other side of the country, say in, in, in America, if someone pays a high fee, it will, those will nodes broadcast that further throughout the network so that a larger degree of miners will get to it, or is it just nope. in its relative area? No, the broadcast process is the same, but it'll be more likely to be picked by miners to make it onto the next block. Okay. Okay. But the, but you can't right. actually guarantee that it'll push because you don't actually know nope. if a miner is going to get the right answer, which we'll get to. Right. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So um so the node, so let's see the miner says, all right, I found the new block and it starts broadcasting that new block. Right. And they it, it's it's about to be added to the blockchain. And like we said, they have this this fingerprint that we'll get into, but this is and this is where your question comes in. What happens if all right, I found this block and I'm broadcasting it, and all of a sudden, some guy in Italy also found a block kind of at the same time with more or less the same transactions, and now like my node is confused because it got you know the American block. And it was good and it was valid. And then it got the Italian block and it was also good and it was also valid. It's like, well, which one do I pick, right? Mm -hmm. And so the way that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto decided to break this tie is wait. Wait till the next block comes through and see which one they pick, the Italian or the American. Mm -hmm. And so whichever, whichever one whenever the next version of the chain comes through, whichever one they picked is the, is the good one. 
that's the version of the blockchain that stays. Mm -hmm. It's the heaviest chain or the chain with the most proof of work attached to it is always taken as the good one. And so, and that if any transactions were kind of left hanging in the process, that's like when you board the plane and all of a sudden they tell you, you know what, too full, uh, you'll have to exit the plane and get on the next one. Mm-hmm. So the transaction just gets back into the mempool and then takes its turn in the next block, mm-hmm. right? So maybe you'll have to wait a little longer, but the transaction isn't lost immediately or anything. It just gets pushed off to to uh, to a future block. But if you need, it sounds like it sounds like if you absolutely need a Bitcoin transaction to go through, it's not like PayPal where you just like you just no. it just it just goes like there's really no. no way to to fully guarantee that your bitcoin transaction is going to go through in the next block being mined like it's 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 impossible to no. guarantee that exactly but you can help your chances by adding a good fee yeah for sure right right that's like that's like a a nice tip for the miners so wink wink and they'll they'll mm-hmm. take your hint got it but even then, you can't. Get, um, no miner can guarantee that they'll actually successfully mine the block. So there's a there's some there's some necessary ambiguity built into the built into the system yes. that you know you you can't get exactly what you want exactly when you want it because you know, this, exactly yeah yep all right and so by the way this is called a a, a class a block collision or a reorg and one block reorganizations in Bitcoin are fairly common. Like it, it happens a few times a year at least, right? Where, oh, we had this block and we thought it was good, but guess what? It wasn't and, and it was replaced by this other block. Two block reorgs are unusual. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever seen a three block reorg. So uh, the deeper your block goes, the less likely that is to happen. And uh, at, at this point, I'd like to, to make a, a brief you know, sort of side note here of why a block every 10 minutes? Because uh, when I first learned about this, I, I, I swear I got a tear in my eyes. I thought it was so beautiful. Uh, so Satoshi sort of measured uh, the speed at which transactions would propagate through the network. As it turns out, it takes about six hops uh, between nodes for a transaction to propagate across the whole network on average. Which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty remarkable. It seemed I would have thought it was a lot more. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But but anyway, so given the speed at which that information can be transmitted in this gossip fashion, uh, ten minutes per block, uh, given the size of the Earth, was calculated to make it so that these sorts of block collisions would only happen about one percent of the time. Hmm. Right. Which I think is like when we say Bitcoin is the first money that's engineered, this is the type of thing we're talking about. Yeah, the the depth. I mean, this this is the cool thing. This is what I love about talking to you. The depth of the of engineering in in the solution continues to unfold and get deeper as my as my understanding of it grows. And you always bring up stuff like this, like, oh, okay, that's. Yeah, like we, we actually, he thought that through. Who and we'll get to who, maybe we'll get to who Satoshi Nakamoto is, but he thought that through. Like, okay, that block collisions would be a natural outgrowth of the nature of the network. What can I do to to minimize them without um, affecting the overall flow of the network itself? Right. So, for example, 
this is one of those things where if if this was the reason why there's a block every 10 minutes, right? And then I tell you that Ethereum has a block every four seconds. <laughs> it's not difficult to understand, well, shit, they must have a shit ton of collisions, which yeah. they do, yeah, right? And so they have this whole complicated uncle and blah, blah, blah system to try to deal with those collisions and you know, but it's the engineering in, in Bitcoin, uh, you know, it, it's not perfect, but it, but it is exquisite. Amazing. So, all right. So once, so your transaction is now in a block, right? Once the next block is mined, this is like being on the plane and the plane has taken off, right? So yeah, the plane could turn around and land again, uh, but it's less likely to happen, right? You, if, if you've taken off, there's a good chance that you're well on your way to your destination. Because we say that each block sort of buries the previous blocks under, under its weight, mm-hmm. where the weight is the proof of work that it took to, to find that block, right? So older transactions become sort of hard and kind of like concrete. Uh, so if that's that's why they say like well you know if 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 you and I are are making a transaction and it's for like say twenty bucks, you know as soon as you see that it's coming, even if it doesn't have any confirmations in it, you know, you're probably good. But if you're like buying a house, you know maybe wait an hour because it'll get five or six blocks on top of it, and that will give you more. Uh, greater finality, right? The likelihood of uh, a transaction changing or being bumped or whatever once it's six block deeps is basically zero or, or fairly close to zero. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. It's, it's sort of baked in. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And, and here's, here's why, right? Let's assume that if, if we're working, if every miner in the world is working on the next block, which is block 91, right? And I want to change a transaction that's in block 74. Then I need to not only redo block 74, I need to do blocks 74 through 90 before the rest of the world finds block 91, right? So the amount of computing power (laughs) that that entails is now at the point of being just ridiculous and completely infeasible. Yeah. Right? Yep. Because you have so to... it's expensive. Yeah. So it's expensive to cheat in Bitcoin and, and it's getting close to the point where it's not just expensive, but it's, it's like almost impossible. Like the footprint you would leave on the supply chain to buy <laughs> enough miners blah, blah, would be visible. I mean, the, the amount of power you would need, like it, it's getting to the point where it's just like not going to happen, right? Right, yeah, no, you can't, you can't, re, you, you don't have the computing power to rewrite that many blocks before the world finds that next block. You're working on 15 blocks in the same amount of time that other people are working on one. And the right. longer that you take to do each of those, another block might get mined. So it, it gets away from oh, you for really sure. quickly. Yeah. 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 So getting a little into mining itself, right? Mining is a little like buying the lottery, right? Uh, the more tickets you buy, the better odds you have of winning. All right. Well, it's kind of the same. In Bitcoin, miners are looking for a winning number, 
right? And it's possible to hit the winning number on your very first try. It's just <laughs> highly unlikely, right? right? And each attempt at finding a winning number is like buying a lottery ticket. It has a cost, right? So you'll often hear people say uh, that miners need to solve complex math equations. That's often a sign that whoever's saying it doesn't have a clue of what they're talking about, or at least not of how proof of mining works. Proof of mining is, um, is basically guesswork, right? It's a brute force process, kind of like opening a padlock, right? Uh, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to open a padlock. You just need some time, you know, and cycle through each combination. And if you're lucky, you'll get it quickly. If you're not lucky, you'll have to go all the way through and, and until you hit the actual combination, right? But it's also, uh, it's, this is also a good analogy because once I find the opening combination, it's very easy for me to tell you, well, the combination is one, two, three, and you can verify that indeed, one, two, three opens the lock and you don't need to spend a lot of computing power to verify that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why our nodes, which are not powerful machines, can verify that blocks are valid without spending a ton of energy. What takes a lot of energy is guessing that number that will unlock the combination. All right. So there's an element of randomness in uh, in Bitcoin mining. Uh, just like in, in you know in certain games, you need to roll a certain combination of dice to to win. Something like the process of mining is similar, right? There's a process called hashing where each time you hash, it's like rolling a dice and you're trying to find the winning number. And what, what hashing does is it's a mathematical function, a well-known, uh, well, like this is used to encrypt top secret documents, blah, blah. It's a very well-studied thing. And it takes an input and converts, basically converts it into a string of, of gibberish, right? And you can see some examples on the screen. And if you, for those of you that are not looking at the screen, you'll see that uh, any change in the input will make a, will, will, will produce a completely different output. So you can't predict what's going to happen. Like if I just change this letter, if I just add a comma, you can't, you can't know what's going to come out the other end, right? Because the way the, this hash function garbles the input is, is unpredictable. Uh, which which happens to be a, an important an important property, right? So they call it a one way function, which is like you know once you have confetti, it's really hard to try to <laughs> redo right the original yeah. document. So it's like when 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 you lose a password for a for a website, for example, right? And and you 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 click the I forgot my password you know, button. They don't send you your password typically, right? They send you a link to make a new password, right? Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because they don't know your password. They only see the hash of your password, right? Mm -hmm. When you're taping something on the screen and you see those little dots, that means that what, you, what you're sending is the hash. They don't get the actual word that you use for your password. They just get the hash of it, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, So Bitcoin uh, takes hashing, you know, it's a, it's a crucial part of the process. And one of the ways you build a block is uh, by, by using hashes of hashes, which means 
you take a transaction and you hash that you take the second transaction and you hash that and you take the combination of those two and you hash those and so on and so forth like a little tree until you get to a single hash that represents every single transaction in your block that not only makes it very compact but also if you were to change anything about any transaction in your entire block uh, the hash would be different, mm-hmm. right? So this makes it very, very tamper-proof. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, once once you once you've hashed all of your block, you you're going to try miners produce something called a block header, which is kind of like the fingerprint of the block, right? It's got we remember how we said they're linked together because uh, each block has the seed of the next one. Well, that's the header, right? So the header of the previous block plus the hash of all of the transactions in your block plus a timestamp plus a random number. And that's going to be your entry to the lottery, right? That's what you're going to try to find a winning number with. Got it. And we'll talk and we'll talk about this random number because it, it happens to be important. Um, the, the number is called a nonce, a number used only once. And its its sole purpose is to change the hash of of your header, mm-hmm. right? Because let's say you're you're mining a block, right? And and you've got all your transactions, blah blah, and then you hash it and you don't find the winning number. Uh, instead of redoing all of the block, you just change that one thing. You just change that nonce, and then mm-hmm. you hash again. Yeah. And if you don't win, you change it and hash again, right? Because if so you, on and if so the forth. Number- if the number is, if the nonce is one, the, it'll hash one way, the whole totality of it. And if you just change that nonce to two, it hashes in a completely different way. Absolutely. And there's no way, I mean, you can try to be clever and say, oh, we'll start at a hundred, but there's no way you could have known whether maybe it was seven, you know? Right. So <laughs> you need to go through the process of every single number until you find it, right? So how hard is it to find the block? Well, it depends, right? I've been saying that miners are looking for a winning number. And what that basically means is that your number has to hit a certain difficulty target, which is measured by a certain number of zeros at the beginning of the number, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, on the screen, uh, the bottom of the screen, there's, there's two different numbers. And it's fairly plain to see that one has a lot more leading zeros than the other, mm-hmm. right? And that's because those two numbers were actual block headers, like 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. So as you, as you might be able to tell, uh, it took a lot more guesswork to find the number that started with 15 zeros than it did finding a number that started with five zeros, right? Okay. So it took a lot more work to actually you know, find that uh, or at because, least statistically. So, okay. Got it. Because, because uh, the, the answer has to start with a certain number of zeros. Um, not the, not exactly. the nonce. Got it. Okay. So like, what are the odds you're going to find something with 15 statistically? What are the odds that you're going to find something that leads with 15 zeros to get to your hash? Like it's, that's a, that's a pretty narrow parameter to have. Right. Yep. And this is also why, two different people uh, can find blocks that are both valid, 
Because if both of them hit the difficulty target, then they're both valid blocks. Right. Right. So now there could be a problem. Like what happens as technology gets uh, faster or as more and more miners come online and are working on these problems? Well, the normal thing would be blocks are being found faster, right? Because we have more powerful processors because more people are throwing computer uh uh, power added, right? So since Bitcoin wants to produce a block every 10 minutes, um, how do we deal with this um, sort of increase in, in computing power being dedicated to finding blocks? And the answer has been called the uh, the crown jewel of Bitcoin, which is the difficulty adjustment. And what, what happens is that every uh, 2016 blocks, which is more or less two weeks, uh, the system sort of looks back and uh, at the timestamps and said, all right, how, how fast are these blocks coming? And if they're coming in at f- a faster rate than once every 10 minutes, then it increases the difficulty of mining. And if for whatever reason, like let's say they shut off the miners in China, so the blocks are coming in too slow, they're coming in slower than every 10 minutes, once every 10 minutes, then the mining difficulty is decreased. Mm-hmm. This is what keeps the production of Bitcoin steady. And this is why, the, regardless of what price Bitcoin is at, you can't make it faster. You can't make more of it because it, will, it has its own internal clock that will keep it to a particular pace. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, on the screen, we have a, a chart showing the, diffic- the difficulty adjustments over, uh, over a certain period of time. And, you know, what it shows basically is that difficulty varies. And this was a period where they turned off a bunch of miners in China. And it's very visible in the chart how there was this huge drop, mm-hmm. right? And, and the network just kept on ticking. We were hearing about that. that few- was, we were hearing about China just like killing all the miners. Yeah. Not so for them, a few, like not killing them, killing them, but well, maybe right, right, shutting them off. Let's put yeah. it <laughs> yes. So for a while, blocks were a little slow, and then the difficulty adjustment, you know, uh, kicked in, and then sort of business resumed as usual. So uh, the Bitcoin network itself went through very significant disruptions this previous year, and it it just sailed through them like a champ. And that's, that's something important to understand also in the Bitcoin versus crypto thing. None of the other blockchains are, have really been tested under fire. You know, Bitcoin has had these like significant challenges thrown up against it and has passed with, with pretty much sailing, you know, colors, with flying colors. And the other ones can't say the same. So mm-hmm. why do miners mine? Like, why would anybody buy a computer and spend a ton of electricity trying to mine? Well, uh, of course, to to make some money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, miners incur a very real cost in terms of both buying the machines, uh, upkeep, uh, electricity, etc. And the reason is because they're hoping to get rewarded by mining valid blocks, and the rewards come in two different forms. There's a transaction fees, which is what we were talking about. When well, if you're in a hurry and you want to make sure that your transaction gets in quick, then you pay a higher fee, right? If you're not in a rush, then you pay a low fee and, and, and don't care if it takes a few days. Uh, but then there's also the mining subsidy. 
for every new block found, the system itself pays the miner a fixed amount, right? So that reward is a is a um, a significant part of the reason why miners uh, get into mining, and the reward is fixed for a certain period, but it changes every four years, right? So at the at the very beginning, uh, it was 50 Bitcoin per block. So every block you found, you got 50 Bitcoin. And then after four years, that got sliced in half to 25. And by the way, when I say it got sliced in half, this was programmed or programmed in since the beginning. Like it's always been known uh, that this is how it was going to be. There was not a, this was not a surprise decision by anyone. This was baked into the protocol from the beginning. And it's going to keep happening every four years. Mm-hmm. So the most recent having happened in 2020. Um, and, and currently, each new block gets 6.25 Bitcoin uh, reward. Right? Mm-hmm. And the, the last having is expected to happen in 2140. Um, 2140 as, of this moment, as in the year 2140. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'll be a while. Um, before the last Satoshi is mined. Mm-hmm. And uh, as of this moment, over 90% of all Bitcoin have already been mined. Mm. So when you look at the monetary supply of Bitcoin, um, what, mm-hmm. what you see is that it started very inflationary, like a lot were being produced, but it sure. very quickly tapered off and it, it winds up uh, evening out till, till it's uh, at zero new coins, right? And if you overlay the real production of Bitcoin versus the theoretical rate at which it's produced, you'll see that you know, mining speeds and blah, blah, blah produces a little variation, but it's, it's stuck pretty mm-hmm. well to its schedule, right? So as a, as a mechanism, it's pretty goddamn reliable. Mm. Now, if you if you want to look at the the transaction fees per block, right? And again, this is all sort of open and transparent. You can look it up. You'll see that uh, you know there's uh, you can sort of see what what miners are, are getting. You see those sudden dips that almost go to zero. It's because often what miners are programmed to do is um, once a new block is found, they immediately start working on the next block, right? But often they try to mine an empty empty block while they're forming this new block. And sometimes they get lucky and they mine a block that only has like one or two transactions in it. <laughs> and they don't care because they get the reward anyway. So, you know, they're happy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because the reward is the same. But the, okay. the reward is the same. Yeah. So the way mining works today is uh, typically in pools, right? The odds of you finding a block by yourself are very, very small. So what you typically do is you join a pool and what a pool basically is, is uh, us saying, all right, guys, we have a thousand machines here. We're all going to try to mine the exact same block. And if, if, if we get it, then we'll split the reward, you know, according to how much computing power each of us contributed. So those are mining pools and that's the way most modern mining works. Um, where uh, is mining? Uh, where are these mining pools? 
Well, as you can Look see, that. Wow. the majority of them used to be in China. <laughs> but that, that took a dramatic nosedive uh, last year. Gosh. And of course, everybody everybody speculates that th there's obviously still some mining going in China, but sure. you know, they're not they're not advertising, right? Um, a lot of it went to Kazakhstan, but now they're also running into trouble there. So my bet is that those miners are also going to be finding a home elsewhere. Wow. A lot is coming to the U.S., but you know, point being, it's it's fairly distributed. And uh, wow, look at that! It's just so crazy. It's like talk about yeah. talk about like shooting yourself at both feet. Like, I mean, I suppose with China's, you know, they have to buy in completely to the whole fiat central bank IMF kind of kind of paradigm. They don't really they CBDC. Can't really, yeah. yeah, they can't really chase two rabbits because you chase two rabbits, you catch none. So if you're going to throw the yep. entire weight of your country, you know, behind uh, behind a paradigm, like all right, bye bye feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. You know, uh, th there's a lot of, of sort of speculation in the Bitcoin space of what was the real reason? Why are they really planning? Because nobody can believe they were like just that stupid to actually run out all the miners. <laughs> You'd be an incredible bungle. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the amount of computing power dedicated to mining Bitcoin is measured in, in hashes per second. And and on the screen we have a chart of it, and, and you can basically see that it's been increasing very significantly. And you can see that huge dip when they turn off the Chinese miners. <laughs> and so you can awesome. see how quickly how quickly it recovered, though. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And so we're we're now back at all time highs. So again, the network is is strong. There's no yes. there's no computing network with more power than with, there's no network with more computing power than Bitcoin. Right. If if you you know they, it's they pro miners produce over one hundred quintillion hashes per second, just to sort of to bring that bound back down to earth. If you try to run the the mining network on on MacBook Pros, you need about a trillion machines. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just a, a lot of of computing power and. Um, Price and hash power, you know, a lot of Bitcoins would shoot me if I said they're, they're correlated, and they're not, but they do tend to follow each other, right? Uh, usually, it's, it's sort of this function of, all right, price goes up, more people get into mining, securing the network, and that, that gives people confidence, and then price keeps going up, and then they, they sort of follow this dance. And one thing I, I would like to make clear, because it's, it's an often, it's a frequent FUD point, Oh, Bitcoin uses all that energy. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin doesn't use all that energy or need all that energy. Uh, Bitcoin could run with half or a third of the amount of miners and, and it would work just as well. It would be less secure, right? It's like if I were to make a vault to store gold coins, right? And I said, I'm going to make it uh, you know, half an inch steel. Okay. Or I'm going to make it a foot, you know, a thick steel. Or, I mean, we're talking about the thickness of the wall here. How secure does it need to be? We don't know. But the vault still holds the same amount of coins. And it's still, you know, the coins are fine. And regard more transactions don't take more energy. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't spend energy per transaction. 
uh, Bitcoin spends energy per block and a block has X amount of transactions. And um, this is a free market phenomenon of people willing to invest uh, into, into energy and miners, blah, blah, to secure the network. But Bitcoin would work just fine uh, with, with uh, less or more energy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so people think, oh my God, it's going to boil the oceans. Uh, you're <laughs> uninformed. <laughs> and just, you know, read up on it. Wait, what? Try reading a book. Yeah. And finally, you know, uh, Bitcoin has spawned this sort of ecosystem where now we have different players, the custodians and the information services and the wallets and the developers and the financial guys who now want to pay you interest on your Bitcoin, which I don't necessarily recommend. Right. So (laughs) there's a a lot of things that have sort of sprouted around Bitcoin, which are not Bitcoin itself, but they sort of feed into the ecosystem and, and, you know, provide different services around it. So, um, you know, some of the important takeaways is that Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer network. People like you and I run nodes at home and we keep the network safe. We keep ourselves safe by doing that. And, and like everybody is encouraged to, to, to run a node uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, miners uh, incur a real, by the way, the cost that miners incur in mining is part of the things that keep Bitcoin's price tied to reality, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is one of the things that proof of stake doesn't really do. Like there's a real cost of electricity that's incurred to mine a block, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's sort of anchored to physical reality, right? And then uh, our nodes keep miners honest and proof of work mining keeps the network secure. So it's a very, it's a very interesting network in that it's, it's kind of adverse. Well, it's very adversarial in that if everybody acts according to their own self-interest, then that's the perfect condition for the network to work just fine. Right? We don't need to be friends. Right. Yeah. I mean, you want to, what laser what laser huddle said is that, um, you know, incentives rule the world and there's no more stronger incentive than self-interest, but it's also very hard to align people's self-interest in, in a productive direction. I mean, that's all the whole game theory thing. So, right. So that's the, that's the cool part about, um, that's the cool part about to switch on my light now. Um, the, that's the cool part about Bitcoin is that it aligns everyone's self-interest in, in an ultimately productive direction. Exactly. And that uh, people who would try to sabotage it would not just incur a very steep cost in trying to do so. Mm-hmm. Even exactly. if somebody's like successfully cracked the network, then what would happen? Well, probably the price would crash and they would be whole, you know, they would, the, the value of the network would be gone, right? They would have killed the golden goose. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. congratulations, you just spent a trillion dollars, <laughs> you know, and gained nothing. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about this then. So some of the questions that generally come up is um, let's let's go on the side that um, Bitcoin is a genuine threat to global finance, global power structures, et cetera, governments, you know, central banks, et cetera. Well, why don't they just like stop it? Like, 
you know, bro, how do they just like, they're just going to like kill uh-huh. it someday, bro. Like what, what are the responses to that? Um, that, and, you know, it's a, it's actually, I don't mean to mock the question. It is a serious question. No, it's a different it's, way of looking. It's a, exactly. It's a, it's a perfectly valid question. And yeah. by the way, uh, for those of you who are either new to Bitcoin or not yet in Bitcoin, these are important questions that you need to not just ask yourself, but to answer to your satisfaction. Like I'll, yeah. I'll provide an answer, which hopefully will point you in the right direction. But like every Bitcoiner, like I know, we've spent a lot of time going like, oh my God, I think we're going to get screwed this way. And then you research it and you go like, well, how does that work? And blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then you come to the point where you're like, oh, okay, I get it. So no, that's, that's not the way I'm going to get screwed, but it's probably this other way. Right? <laughs> and so you try to figure out how you're getting screwed. And at some point you're like, well, goddamn, maybe maybe it really is what they say it is. No? Yeah. So in response to that question, uh, this is why the whole decent- the real decentralization thing is so important. Like, uh, and again, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to take a cheap shot at Ethereum because why wouldn't I? <laughs> Please. Uh, like 70% of all Ethereum nodes, uh, last time I checked, which was last week, run on Amazon Web Services. Oh, no way. Right? So, you know, <sighs> shut that off and you've eliminated 70% of all Ethereum nodes, what? you know, in, in like what? five seconds. Uh, with Bitcoin, how where's the off switch? How terrible you know? is that? Sorry, keep you, going. You have to you have to go to you know 10,000, 14,000, 5,000, I don't know how many people's homes and and try to turn off their nodes and good luck finding all of them. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's not it's not easy to you know, are you going to turn off the entire internet? Uh, well, you know, if you do, then you probably have bigger problems to worry about than Bitcoin. And by the way, like they, let's let's just for giggles because we were discussing this the other day. If they turn off the internet, let's say for two days, right? Mm-hmm. When once they turn it back on, the nodes would just go back online and say and start gossiping with each other. Hey, bro, did you get any transactions or offline? No, bro, did you? Yeah, here's one. All right, great. And the network would just sort of pick up where it left off. And sure, there'd be, you know, some, you know, a, a, a period of, of confusion for a few hours, but it'd be back up and running at no time. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, the Bitcoin network is being broadcast via satellite now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's these like couple of hundred dollar kits that you can use to sync up with a you node know, via satellite, even if the internet goes back down. So let's, let's just put it this way. It's more resilient than your bank for sure. <laughs> And it's 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 just really not easy to kill because mm-hmm. it has no head to cut off, right? If they want to, um, if they want to arrest, uh, you know, if they want to stop Ethereum, you know, they they arrest uh, Vitalik Buterin and uh, Joe Lubin mm-hmm. and a handful of other core developers, and that'd kind of be that. You know, it's easy to spot the central people in most crypto projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good luck finding Satoshi, you know, and even if you found him, uh, you know, he's been out of the loop for over 10 years. Uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it would be uh, a meaningless gesture right now. The fact that nobody owns or controls the network is precisely what makes it hard 
uh, and, and increasingly impossible to kill. The subject of men and jewelry is tricky. As my friend and style coach Tanner Guzzi might say, it's best to wear pieces that have personal meaning to you rather than wearing jewelry just to wear it. But how can a man find a meaningful piece in a sea of cookie cutter garbage? The answer is hand craftsmanship and one of a kind wearable works of art made right here in America. Which brings me to our sponsor, Deepwell Designs. The proprietor Thomas William handcrafts silver and precious stone pieces to meet your specifications. He's been making them for over 20 years, having learned lapidary and silversmith from his grandfather as a boy. And the results are spectacular. His pieces sing with style, quality, and care. On his website, you can see rings, necklaces, bracelets, cuffs, pendants, belt buckles, and more, and pieces for both men and women. He even just made me a silver Christian cross necklace, which arrived the other day and looks amazing. He banged it out literally in about a day. We exchanged DMs with sample photos, and he nailed exactly what I wanted and I'm not easy to shop for. I'm picky about who I choose as sponsors for my podcast. They must be high integrity, talented, one of a kind, and different from the typical type of podcast sponsors. And Thomas meets all my requirements, which is why I'm thrilled to introduce you to him today. I'd say more, but rather than telling, I'd prefer to show you what I mean. So visit deepwelldesigns.com or head to Instagram at deepwelldesigns00 and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off any piece including custom orders. If you don't see anything you like, just message, and I bet Thomas can make it for you. Once again, that's deepwelldesigns.com or deepwelldesigns00 on Instagram, and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off. As men, I believe it's important to support our fellow creators, so I hope you'll take a minute and help a talented one out and look great in the process. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the podcast with Carlos Fenman, the Bitcoin coach. So does do um, so from a technical standpoint? Do um, do Bitcoin nodes run on particular ports, say through uh, through your internet connection? Because different internet connections, different natures of the signals. I understand it run through different ports. What if they just shut down that port? You move it to another one, I suppose. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's a good question, which. Uh, to be honest, goes beyond my technical abilities mm-hmm. to tell you what exactly um, the workaround is. I'm I'm fairly sure mm-hmm. that if it were just a matter of like switching ports, it'd be a headache, but not you know not a n- it, that wouldn't kill the network. And then how many how many so so bit the Bitcoin network survives because of nodes and miners. How many miners? Yeah, I don't remember if you do. We actually know how many miners there oh, are. Oh God, no, no, no we okay. don't. Okay, and there and yeah, go ahead. So we don't, and and this is also really important. Just like you don't need permission to run, run a node, you also don't need permission to mine. <laughs> like you can go, you can go on a website right now, and you can buy a little miner, and it's still not exactly plug and play. You need to twenty power uh it consumes quite a bit it's noisy it, it runs hot but you can run a miner at home or or whatever you wherever you want and and nobody needs to know about it and, mm-hmm. and that's part of uh, that's also part of the power is that uh, yeah and of course if you're running a big mining operation it's like it's like running a be a big weed grow right the, the heat right. signature is gonna be visible so it's not it's not necessarily perfect but uh 
it it it's moving towards more decentralization uh, and towards more resiliency. Yeah, and, and if um, if for whatever, I think I read a tweet today that said they're going to make mining illegal, and if that's the case, and and all the miners around, around the world essentially like all shut down at the same moment, then then, the, then the, the difficulty level would just get reduced to the point where just someone mining potentially with a with a home based kind of rig can do it instead exactly. of needing these giant kind of like shipping containers full of hundreds of hundreds of CPUs. Exactly. Like some of my clients uh, used to mine Bitcoin on their laptop back in college. <laughs> That's cool. Those are the days. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then there's that. So you, so you can't, you can't take out all the nodes. You can't take out all the miners, right? Um, let's see. How about if, um, what if people can't get their fiat currency into Bitcoin you know, because like people don't earn Bitcoin, like they get paid from work or whatever. And so they trans, they have to transfer their, they have to have some on-ramps of their fiat currency converted into Bitcoin from an exchange or something like that. So what about if you shut down right. exchanges? Right. And that is the, for sure, that is the best choke point they do have, right? Mm -hmm. The place where Bitcoin and fiat touch is the exchanges, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that's the, the most likely uh, stranglehold. And there's a couple of, and, and, and by the way, just the earlier, just for a second, back to the earlier question, the more likely thing is if they, if they like buy and bit, man, ban Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining, it's like, well, they do it someplace, but some other place will say, oh, we'll, we'll take your money. We'll take your, you know, you're, you're welcome here. Right. Mm -hmm. So, one of the nice things about like this problem with exchanges, uh, it's a real concern. Mm -hmm. And the solutions are perhaps threefold. Uh, one is, of course, as a Bitcoin circular economy starts developing, then uh, maybe, hey, well, you know, uh, you're going to do something for me. I'll pay you in sats and you don't need to cash the fiat. You can take sats. So eventually you'll probably be able to buy and sell and transact more easily in Bitcoin than that what you can now. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of one avenue. The other avenue is what are called decentralized exchanges, which are kind of like a, a Napster kind of thing where mm -hmm. there's not really an exchange like a, a company somewhere running a server, but when you log into the exchange, sort of you become part of the exchange. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you're dealing with people on a direct basis and they just put in place certain mechanisms where, let's say, if Will wants to send uh, to, to sell me some Bitcoin, then you post your Bitcoin on a, on a multi-sig account, which means you, you, you still have control of it, but they can see that you got it really. And then you can offer it to the public. And if I think your price is reasonable, then I say I'm interested. And then you tell me to which bank account. I, I will send you money and I do a direct transaction to your bank and nowhere, you know, there's no Bitcoin mentioned anywhere. I just send mm -hmm. you money to your account. And then once you receive it, uh, you say, all right, fine. And then you release the Bitcoin to me. And if you don't, then uh, there's some arbitration process, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. that's a, an evolving, uh, an evolving ecosystem, but it's, mm -hmm one thing that's being worked on mm -hmm. and by the way uh 
this is one of Jack Dorsey's projects as well, is trying to figure out how to do a protocol for these, to make these uh, decentralized exchanges sort of more um, standardized and intercompatible, blah, blah. But it's one of the areas that you know, people are working on, right? Another is sort of OTC transactions, like you know me and I know you, and then mm-hmm. you're like, you know what, I need some cash. Uh, but I've got some Bitcoin. I'm like, all right, send me your Bitcoin and I'll pay whoever you want because you know I'm mm-hmm. interested. So it's it would definitely be a pain in the butt if they banned exchanges. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were like deep into Bitcoin, you could always you know just take your Bitcoin and move elsewhere where they didn't ban exchanges, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand that this is not necessarily the most appetizing thing for for most people. But point being. Could they do that or have they done that in other places? Yes. And what's happened? The price of Bitcoin has gone through the roof and a, a, a very healthy black market has developed, you know, and Bitcoin mm-hmm. transactions have, have shut up. We've seen this in, in Africa and in India and in several places. So not an easy technology to ban. And the whole, I, I fully expect them to regulate um, exchanges more tightly. I don't expect them to ban, especially not in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's too yeah. late for that. And I think that's that's the thing about Bitcoin that made it really compelling to me is like it's a very resilient net network. And if you're if you're looking for something that's oh it's it's got to be absolutely bulletproof or I won't even think about it. It's like well you know you don't really have a choice because there's no such thing like because you can poke holes in gold right. you can pull, poke yeah. holes in you know you know but what about bullets bro it's like dude if, if it gets to the point that we're using bullets as currency mm-hmm. we have more worries right <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like so right. the, but, but the thing about bitcoin is it's like and this is this is true just to just to you know, piggyback off of uh laser hodl's perspective on masculinity which i agree with like the point of masculinity is not to be not to be impermeable the point is to be resilient, you know, because we're all going to go through things that, you know, that that knock us down, that spin us around, potentially from all different kinds of sources. But can we actually get up from it? And the cool thing about Bitcoin is that it can actually get up from those. Like these these questions are legitimate and should be asked. But is there a response? Oh, yeah, for sure there's a response. And that's the really important thing. And, and one thing I would add about to, to what you just said is that, you know, one of the things that for me was super attractive and has kept me in Bitcoin is that the amount of brain power that's yeah. focused on making this work is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like brilliant people are are like very actively working on figuring out what the problems are, how to fix them, blah blah blah. So that that makes me very hopeful. Yeah. And so let's now let's talk about the so so those are all the let's talk about the privacy question and then we'll transition into the whole you know maybe we'll use that as a bridge into the whole so the whole question about like oh bitcoin is some sort of like central bank kind of like you know globalist scam to get all of our information i got that yeah. question on instagram today that it's like right. this is the this is the yeah. honeypot that people are being i mean i can refute that all kinds of ways but it's what's a valid question so let's yeah. talk about the privacy yeah. issue that you know you go on an exchange and you go to buy some bitcoin and you have to use a you have to use a government issued uh, you know id and so there's, yes. a, there's a way there's a way at which transactions and with the transparency with the glo- with the global public ledger there's a way that transactions can be tracked throughout the network and and if you have the right information you can know who has what and so let's let's discuss that issue as well 
Right. So when you buy your coins through an exchange, your purchase is typically fully KYC, which means you know your customer, which means your ID is is very clearly linked to that transaction, right? What what is KYC? Sorry. Uh, know your customer. Okay. So we, we talk about transactions being KYC, it means your name is attached to them, right? Mm-hmm. So when you move your coins, oh, by the way, uh, guys, uh, when you buy your coins in an exchange, uh, you should move them out of the exchange and onto your own wallet uh, because when they're in the exchange, you don't really have them. You have an IOU yeah. from the exchange saying, I have your coins. Mm-hmm. Right. So once you move them to a wallet where you control your keys, then you are sort of in possession of your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, again, we, we Bitcoiners encourage everybody to do that. Uh, but yeah, there's there's companies like Chainalysis uh, who make a, a very uh, strong effort to try to link each Bitcoin transaction to an identity and to do all sorts of analysis of, all right, what IP address was this transaction broadcast from and who does that belong to and da-da-da-da-da. And they try to link all of that to your identity. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin is not anonymous. Bitcoin is pseudonymous, right? So, which means there's your name is not attached to any transaction, but not in the system, but people who can look at the metadata of the network traffic and other things uh, could definitely, you know, piece together uh, which transactions belong to you, at least to a certain degree. Uh, it's a it's it's a probabilistic thing, but you know they have they have good uh, algorithms to try to do that. Um, so the first thing is just understand that your Bitcoin is not anonymous, right? And don't don't use it as if it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I mean, you I shouldn't want, go, shouldn't go buy drugs on the black market with my Bitcoin. Exactly. That's what now you use dollars you, for, sir. Now you, now you tell me. <laughs> Thanks, great. Yeah. Thanks, Toby. Um, <laughs> so, if you want KYC free Bitcoin, Bitcoin that is not attached to your name, uh, you can either earn it by charging people in Bitcoin. Uh, you can do these sorts of OTC deals where you pay me and I give you Bitcoin, or you can mine. Because mm-hmm. mining is, uh, you know, there's there's no KYC there. It's just you have a little machine and it spits out sats and you point that to a wallet and those are KYC free, mm-hmm. which is one good reason too. Now, um, a lot of, like a lot of us Bitcoiners are very privacy focused, Right. And there's hence a strong, why, uh, hence why there's hence no why. picture of you on the screen. Right, right. Mm-hmm, uh, my, by the way, my, my clients do get to see my face though, because I do understand that it helps. Right? <laughs> I mean, he looks uh, a lot. He looks a lot like George Clooney, so he just can't be. He just can't be showing that to everybody. Like you got to earn. Oh that. well, now you now you spoil it. Uh, <laughs> a, a Latin George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Cross. So. Oh, so um, th- there's a strong encouragement to try to not buy your coins from KYC sources and use this sorts of decentralized exchanges. And while I agree with the uh, sentiment, 
mm-hmm. they're also more complicated to use, right? So it's there's a learning curve. And I, I sort of I strongly encourage people to climb that learning curve and get onto those decentralized exchanges and buy it. But don't let that stop you from getting your fair first sats. I mean, it's it's fine. It's not the end of the world if if you buy them at, a, at an exchange. Mm-hmm. And so now let's now let's address the sets of questions. So we talked about you know how Bitcoiners is a resilient network that would be very difficult to take down, and then we talked about the privacy concerns which come up. But let's let's actually address directly the question of like this is some sort of globalist scam to get all of our money into one centralized ledger that they can watch and and track, and it's a it's a surveillance trap. Let's let's address let's address that question. Right. So let's let's just assume that that's the case for a moment, right? Um, like personally, I would rather have my money be like perfectly visible, but unstoppable. Like, like maybe they can see what I'm doing with my money, but they can't tell me what to do. They can't take it from me. They cannot confiscate it. They can't freeze it, mm-hmm. right? We can't so, hyperinflate it. <laughs> can't they? Can't inflate it. So. And and the direction that Bitcoin is moving in, and and we see this in upgrades like the recent thing uh, we moved to Taproot, uh, the Bitcoin software uh, a is not frozen in time. It it keeps evolving. It does so slowly because there's a very strong uh, first do no harm type of mandate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, we like to make the analogy of, you know, it's like, it's like you're programming software for a nuclear reactor. You don't, this is not a move fast and break things environment, right? You want to make right. sure you don't break anything. Uh, so it's not, it's, it's not like super fast turnaround on everything, but we're moving towards more private transactions. We're moving towards, uh, technology uh, upgrades that sort of obfuscate, make it harder to track. And we're not all the way there yet by sure. any stretch, but it is moving in that direction. And, and by the way, if we, once those technologies start taking hold and when once um, people start transacting more in Bitcoin, that's the other thing it starts getting mixed up. Like one of the common ways today of trying to, to gain privacy is called coin joining or coin mixing, mm-hmm. where it's like, let's say you put, you know, 500,000 sats and I put 500,000 sats and, and 10 out of the people put in 500,000 sats and they all get sort of mixed together into, into like 80 transactions sort of, you know, on and off. And then we get little stacks of, I don't know, 30,000 stacks each, you know, that mm-hmm. have been so thoroughly mixed that even if they knew who the coins were attached to going in, they're no longer sure which ones went to whom, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this technology is also difficult to parse. Like there's two main schools of, of how to do this and they're constantly fighting. And I see like Bitcoiners, I respect on both sides of the aisle, you know? And so right now I don't know it enough to recommend to somebody who's beginning. Right. But it's, it's fairly clear that uh, there's work being done to minimize 
uh, the 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 ways in which they can track you, and I I am confident that that will continue to improve. And again, even if it didn't, for the moment, I'd, I'd rather sacrifice some privacy for the uh, other properties which which make uh, Bitcoin extremely valuable. Not, and I'm not by any means discounting privacy. I do think it's crucial. I just think having good money sort of comes first. And I would not sacrifice the good money part just to get privacy. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if you're that concerned, you know, use your Bitcoin to buy one of the privacy coins, you know, to, to buy your drugs in the black market if you want. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that doesn't mean that those Don't privacy coins are good money. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I did. Okay. No, I, and I think that I think that's totally. I think that's totally valid. And, and again, it highlights just how much brain power is in this network. Like that's that's not obvious from the outside. Is that there's there's the technology, right? There's 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 the network, but there's also the culture around it. And it's it, the the culture is very to say it's freedom centric gives it a particular color. But I'll just go with that. I mean, these are people that are very, very dedicated with the full weight of their intellect, you know, to upending or exiting from the existing fiat system. I mean, just listen to Laser Hoddle. Like you just listen to that podcast. And this is this is a man who I could get what he was saying. Like I could see the picture. I couldn't have assembled that picture myself. And you know, that's a man, that's that is a highly intelligent, highly intelligent man. And he's one of many that are working on all of these problems. So as you say, it's Bitcoin is not static. It's not frozen in time. The software is not frozen in time. There's not one answer for all eternity. These are very smart people that are, that are taking a very, uh, very smart, very stable approach to, to uh, reforming, reworking the network to address some concerns and I, I think that that's the part that's kind of invisible to the average person is until you start getting into Bitcoin Twitter or listening to podcasts or reading books, you know, or, or uh, watching YouTube videos, you don't have a good sense of just how much intelligence, heart, passion, drive, dedication and devotion is behind is behind this network. And that more than anything gives the feeling of being on a on a on a winning team, on a powerful team of, of, of men and women who are absolutely dedicated to making this work. And when you have that kind of when you have that kind of intensity and you have that kind of esprit de corps, anything is possible. And yeah, you know, I, in in my experience, like I participate in the Bitcoin cheerleading a thousand percent, especially now uh-huh. more than later. But that's part of the fun of it, you know. That's part of yeah. the fun of you know a bunch of men on deck of men and women on deck of a ship, you know, going through a storm, you know, like one of those Jack Sparrow Pirates of the Caribbean type ships. You know, you're singing as you know things are going crazy. Oh, look at that's the fun. Look. Look at last week, right? We dropped fifty percent, and you have all the Bitcoiners, you know, singing sea shanties on on Twitter. You know, they were we're like, yeah, riding riding the dip, and just like you you listen to Laser Hollow, right? And and but then you you listen to Greg Foss connect the dots on bonds, and you listen to Michael Saylor connect the dots on technology and engineering and. Mm. Uh, the digitization of of things, and you listen to Preston Pish or or Lynn Alden on the macroeconomic, and so there are so many brilliant people that can look at, you know, from from their expertise, connected back to Bitcoin, and it, you know, my mind is is blown on a on a regular basis, and part of the challenge is that there's this embarrassment of riches in terms of high quality content to consume and and the 
And it's a problem because, it, you know, if, if somebody, oh, well, Bitcoin, oh, here's 500 hours of, of great podcast. Oh, my God. You know, it's 100 hours of laser huddle. Like, <laughs> like oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I got 5% of that. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I see that as sort of part of my job is helping synthesize some of that and to give people a taste of some of that. So that they can say, all right, well, that this this bit was really interesting, and I'd like to look at it more from this part, or or this part I don't understand at all. I need to dig into that part, you know, a little deeper. Uh, but to give them sort of an, an overall perspective on on the landscape. Well, talk a little bit more about about what it is that you do as the Bitcoin coach for your clients. Talk more about the portfolio of services, because I think it's really important for people to know that, yes, there is an enormous, enormous content, you know, and brain power ecosystem. I mean, what's Saifedean talked to Jordan Peterson, you know, oh, and, and Saifedean, man. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, and Jordan Peterson started to get it a little bit too. Like that's a pro institution dude. And, but, you know, he just never really looked into Bitcoin, but like he started to get it by the end of the conversation. You can kind of, you could kind of feel his mind beginning to change. And so the Bitcoin conversation reaches up to entirely that level. And it's like, it's really easy for someone to kind of get in, get lost, you know, there's jargon, there's there's the same kind of things that you'd experience in any community of people who are passionate about a subject where it's like shared lingo, shared jokes, in jokes, yep. you know, all, you know, symbols, like what do the laser eyes mean? Like, what, you know, yep. <laughs> like, yeah. So, so, so it's kind of intimidating, but that's why we need someone like you, like a Bitcoin coach to help people who, you know, who are, they're occupied with the general things of life and maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not technologists, maybe they don't, maybe they're not interested in exploring on their own, but you help build those, um, I guess we might say conceptual on-ramps for people in some really interesting ways. So I wonder if you can talk about that for people. You mean there's people that don't spend all their day on Bitcoin Twitter? Oh my God. There's a, there, are there's, a couple, there's a couple of them, one or two, one or two. <laughs> I mean, what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah. So, um, what I what I basically did was I assembled uh, material into into five conversations, which is um, what is Bitcoin, why does it matter, how does it work, what are the risks, and how do I buy and store safely, right? And because I think like and and. Neither of these is is like super comprehensive. It's kind of like what we did today. We sort of ran through, you know, how Bitcoin works, uh, and and there's there's a ton more that you can dig into. But these this at least sort of lays the groundwork for us saying, okay, I kind of get it now. Mm -hmm. I need to look into nodes more, into mining more, or whatever it is. So what I what I've tried to do with these conversations is precisely. Uh, make accessible right the 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 basic knowledge that you need to start grasping the entirety of why this matters and and why one of the things i always tell my clients is i can't trust bitcoin for you mm -hmm. right you need to build that trust on your own because you know, how much do i put into bitcoin well it's it's always like a step function right you start with a little and then you you sort of live through it, and and there's up and downs, and then you use if you study, then you get a little extra. Oh, okay, I, I got this now. So you put in a little more, and then you keep studying, where and as your trust in the asset increases, 
not because somebody else told you, but because you understand it, then usually your allocation to it increases as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember uh, when we had that conversation in January, 2020, I knew, uh, no, no, sorry, summer, like July, 2020, I knew nothing about Bitcoin at all besides, you know, that it was, I think I probably would have said it as a cryptocurrency and that was about it. And I remember, you know, and that was in one of your, your early, your early versions of your, of your conversations were coming up on almost two years ago, a year and a half. And, uh, you know, within two conversations, I mean, which is, took place over two weeks, I was like, yes, in, I get it, I get it. And so it's really powerful once you actually have the opportunity to break it down for people in, in that direction, you know, where it's like, yes, okay, I, I get the vision, I get why this is important. Um, and, and, but there's, there aren't many people that are available really to do that. And, and you do that, you, you do that for families as well, right? It's not just, um, it's not just uh, individuals, because yes, there are individuals, but like, as later laser huddle discussed, you know, from the perspective of a man that's trying to preserve his wealth and preserve his, um, his work and his effort for the generations, like there's questions about family investment as well that are really, really relevant. Absolutely. You know, I've got my 401k, I've got my, all these invested, my investment portfolio, stock picks, et cetera. It's like, well, maybe you should think about moving that into Bitcoin. So you do, you have that conversation as well, right? Yeah, I, I have, I've worked with, uh, three or four families, which have been, by the way, my favorite conversations, mm -hmm. because what usually happens, like one of my, one of my clients who, who, who you know, uh, was joking today that, oh, my wife's going to ask why a bank account is empty tomorrow, <laughs> right? One of the things that happens with Bitcoin is that if only one family member is into it, then the rest think that this person has lost their mind and joined a cult and, you know, they worry. <laughs> so, one of the valuable things uh, I found about getting everybody in the conversation, you know, mom, dad, the kids, is that uh, everybody at least gets what it's about mm -hmm. and, and why. And it's been interesting to see, you know, sometimes like everybody usually, like everybody's engaged during the conversations and some after some people like clearly got it and, and sort of are the Bitcoiners in the family. Mm -hmm. But even those who aren't at least are no longer uh, scared or put off or, you know, alienated because at least they understand what's going on to, uh, to enough of an extent not to be concerned about the one person who's a, you know, hardcore Bitcoiner. Mm -hmm. So uh, at least two of the families were like, Dad wanted all the family to understand, and one was more like the teenager was bugging dad about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. The one who was like, "Okay, fine, I'll stay in for the first conversation. I'm not sitting for five of these." And and you know, and he's one of the clients who, who he's oh, he did stay for the five, and he's one of the ones who still texts me and hey, I just did this, and he's the one who just upped his his allocation by forty percent during this dip. So, so good. That's it's it's so good. Do you find that there's a common set of, of, uh, of, of questions that people ask, you know, like what's the big question and is, is there, is there one particular piece of information that you've observed or a couple that really sets off the, sets off the light or is it just, is it, is it different per person or different per group? I, I'd say it's, it is different per person. Uh, one thing that like when people don't know that there were only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Like the first time they hear that, and then they hear that 90% of them have already been mined. That's usually a, huh, 
okay. That, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that, that's something that, that makes them sit up and take notice. Um, the rest, I think it depends. Like if, if you're somebody who's really happy with your bank, right. And loves institutions. Yeah. Then you, you might have a harder time sort of understanding the value of, of Bitcoin. I, I do find that most, most the people who get into it the most either have had bad experiences with their banks or uh, have like tried to do interesting things with their money, like trying to send a payment uh, abroad and having that be challenging or, mm-hmm. you know, having try wire transfers take forever or certain countries are not supported or having to move large amounts or whatever that, you know, different cases. But if uh, I think having some amount of dissatisfaction with the current financial institutions often helps pique that interest in saying, all right, I, yeah, I would be interested in something better, right? Mm-hmm. If you're thrilled with your bank, uh, then it, it might take you longer to find out why we, we believe this is uh, useful. Mm-hmm. And for example, some of my clients uh, are in third world uh, countries where they have lived through uh, serious currency debasement. Mm. And it's interesting, like I don't, there are certain things that I don't need to explain to them so much as I do to like some of my U.S. clients who are used to living in, you know, the world's reserve currency. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So just a couple more questions, because I want to keep, I want to keep this like digestible, because obviously I could talk for five hours about it. But um, okay, so help help unpack this recent dip. Like, what's going on? Because Bitcoin was up to seventy thousand, touched that sort of ceiling early this year, and now it's it's below fifty percent of that. And it's been it's been I love it. Like more for me. But what's that? Is there any sense of like what's been what's been going on over the past say few days as things have been going a bit crazy? Uh, I think um, the consensus seems to be that it's about the the fed is going to have an announcement tomorrow mm. right and they have been making noises about uh slowing down the money printer mm. in different in different possible ways right they could raise rates they could dial back quantitative quantitative easing they could basically slow down the the speed at which they're pumping up the economy mm-hmm. they they've said they're going to do this and it's not i mean they they it's not easy it's not hard to see why right inflation right. is is running pretty hard and the, the problem is um there's there's questions about their actual ability to do so without causing a meltdown Mm. Right. It, this is not a. This is not something where they can just finally, you know, turn a dial and, you know, this, right. this is this, this is they're doing surgery with an axe kind of thing. <laughs> so, so when they say that they're no longer, you know, they're they're slowing down the money printer, um, all risk assets uh, sort of take a dive, right? Okay. And so, which is why you saw both not just Bitcoin, but both Bitcoin and the stock market, both plunging. Mm-hmm. Uh, today was interesting. Today, Bitcoin started rising while the stock market kept going down. Could be a temporary thing. Uh, if there's a decoupling from those two, that would be very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But the, the overall consensus does seem to be that regardless of whether the Fed 
really cuts rates or not, uh, whatever they do is probably going to be temporary because any uh, any strong measures would really like be like nuking the economy and yeah. like they want to win the next election, so they they want to. And then they want to avoid people with pitchforks on the street. Mm-hmm. So they'll do their best to control inflation, which, uh, but, but since there's serious questions about their ability to actually do it. So it's a temporary thing. And um, I think the, the and this is important to understand about Bitcoin, uh, whatever money you put into it, just assume you're not going to see it for, two, four, or like, I know laser hot said two years. I always say four years, right? Right. Because the mean in the, in between, it'll go up and down like crazy. It'll try to shake you off. The first cycle is the most difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that everything is pointing towards uh, a phenomenal, you know, rise in Bitcoin over the next couple of years. Right. Um, but, but, you know, the the Fed is the, the the biggest whale in the room, and whenever they look at anything sideways, you know the the markets crumble and shake. So I, I think it's mostly uh, this particular dip was mostly caused by, caused by the Fed, and tomorrow's meeting will be either the cause for a further dip or or maybe a rebound, depending on what they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about how. Uh, you know, wow, we want to win the next election and inflation's going through the roof. So let's let's uh, go ahead and call the Fed. Like, isn't that a bit odd? Isn't that a bit strange that um, that the, the 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 Democrat president, you know, would make a call over to adjust financial policy so that he could, you know, he could uh, get some more support in the midterm elections? Like, that's very bizarre when you kind of think about. It. Like, we take it for granted. But I think it's it's very bizarre that that the printing of money is tied to political interests, and those particular political interests are themselves tied to COVID, social justice, and everything represented by the progressive slash liberal slash you know whatever whatever they're called now left. Like that's I think that's very curious. Um, then and we take it for granted, but like there's no reason why it should necessarily be that way. Why Federal Reserve policy should serve a sitting president as a president as opposed to. Um, say the public. I mean, obviously to suggest that the Federal Reserve policy would serve the public is, you know, it's this cla- it's crazy talk. Like what, what, what well, are you smoking, Will? Well, like you get some more so, of that Monero Ethereum crap. But you know, yeah, go ahead. Some of us would believe that presidents serve the Federal Reserve uh interests. <laughs> Amen. Well said. Well said. Touche, sir. Touche. Okay. So then so then uh, one one last question is what's your favorite part of bitcoin like what's the what's the part that just makes you the most the most excited oh wait actually no i want to talk about satoshi nakamoto first can we do that can we do that for like two Uh, sure okay let's let's talk about because because this did come up as like uh you know related to the um related to the question about privacy like why doesn't anyone know who satoshi nakamoto is do you know who he really is like i don't know it's klaus schwab in his underwear they can probably not but like who is who is satoshi nakamoto and why is it important that we don't actually know who he is I think I just answered the question, but whatever. Right. Oh, I think it's it's crucially important uh, because it's not. Uh, first of all, uh, God bless Satoshi, and thank you very much. You know, it's the the uh, what what he achieved is um, to me. It's like 
unbelievable mm-hmm. like like the, the the level of accomplishment of what he did like i'm i'm really like awed yeah. by by what he what he did and um first of all if if we ever found out who he was he would have a huge target on his back right, right. like like if i if i knew who he was which i don't i i would never you know, say it, or I, I wouldn't even say like a, a theory, blah, blah, because I think it would be in horrible taste mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of disrespectful to to the man who, who gave us this gift, right? Mm-hmm. So I, it always, it, it pisses me off when people start coming up with their theories of, oh, and I have this evidence. I'm like, dude, just, you know, like yeah. rest. I mean, I have, I have some people that I, I like to uh, point at a saying, all right, this is a person who is not Satoshi, but, but should be. Right, right. Uh, like Neil Stevenson, the uh, the cipher, uh, the, the science fiction author. author. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, like he would be, he would be a a, a wonderful uh, Satoshi in terms of. There's so many of his books that deal with money conceptually, right, and mm-hmm. that like, and that have helped me understand a, a lot of the different like they've been instrumental for me to understand some of the evolution of money and, and its history and blah, blah. So uh, wonderful, wonderful candidate, My, Michael Saylor, another one, right? Like, I don't think he is, but um, yeah, he, he, I, I've, I've, th- I've thought of, of, of creating a Satoshi Nakamoto award and, and, you know, they, they just, you, you give it to somebody one year and then they have to give it to somebody else the next year. No committees, no anything, just whoever got it gets mm. It's an honorary uh, prize. That's cool. Um, so I think it's important that we don't know who who the person is because uh, a uh, I, I I generally think that that person's life would be at risk and not just as in they'd be killed but probably horribly tortured before they were killed. Yeah. Right. Uh, like the the wallets that are associated with satoshi because you know those coins were mined when there were very few miners hold about a million bitcoin right Mm. so that's a that's a just financially right uh that's a huge amount of of money that you know just that incentive alone would would be enough to cause them harm Mm -hmm. um wow but also the fact that he did this from anonymity and disappeared after uh, is, is one of the key differences between Bitcoin and all of crypto, right. right? Most cryptos are what we call a security, which is I have this project and I'm going to sell you a bit of that project and you're going to make money because we're going to do X, Y, and Z and we're all going to profit. That's called a security, mm-hmm. right? And so that it's illegal to sell securities without a bunch of, you know, running through through a lot of red tape, which cryptos didn't. Right. And that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting fight to see. Uh, I know that the SEC is probably gonna declare a bunch of crypto securities and we'll see how how much of a bite they actually have or not, blah, blah. You know, that'll be something that we'll probably see happening in the next few years. And I'm not a fan of, you know, the government going after anyone. But it's it's something that people who are new to this should be aware that um, I don't know how much the SEC can or can't do, but it, it is likely that many crypto projects will be found to be illegal securities. Mm-hmm. 
Bitcoin was not because there was no team promising mm. returns, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. This guy just did this openly. Anybody could run the software from day one. Anybody could mine from day one. Uh, everybody earned the coins that they mined. There was no what they call a pre-mine, which uh, a lot of projects like, for example, Ethereum did a 70% pre-mine. Mm. So 70% of the coins of Ethereum were assigned day one. Great. Right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Ethereum is not sketch at all, by the way. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. that's why the, the uh, World Economic Forum uh, loves them. Oh, my gosh. So, so, so bad. So um, the, the way Bitcoin was born, right? Uh, some some uh, Bitcoiners jokingly call it the Immaculate Conception. Hmm. But... It is an unusual and an unrepeatable set of circumstances. Yeah. Where it was made by somebody that nobody knows who that person is. And it was open to the public. I mean, yeah, you had to be in the know at the beginning just because, you know, uh, I actually I actually have a guy that I've chatted with who was in that mailing list when, when Satoshi uh, announced <laughs> I'll I'll see if we can get a conversation going with him. He's a really great guy. Okay, um, that's really cool. Like, wow, watching history happen. Yeah, and, and he didn't get into Bitcoin until like a couple of years ago. He like uh, he, he missed it. Oops, you know? missed it completely. Like, oh, just, no, I mean, not, not completely, but but I mean, like people who get in today haven't missed it, right? But well, if just you were being there, on like, the ground floor. The, the you ground know? you're in the basement <laughs> yeah the little the little basement I mean, yeah goddamn yeah so um again so i think i i think that's why it's important that we don't uh spend too much energy or effort trying to find out who satoshi is i think it's you know but um the one thing that we do know is that it's not uh, Craig Wright. Who, I don't know if you've heard him mentioned before or not. Fake Toshi. No. Fake. Uh, yeah, oh I have actually. God. That does sound familiar. It's this clown who claims that he's Satoshi and he's, he's, he's just like not. So and, he's, but, but he's, and he's also uh, like gone into lawsuits with people and, and said he was going to prove it. And, and, you know, it'd be easy to prove, by the way, at least. Yeah, move the Like coins. if you move. Yeah, move the coins, right? Mm. And but he hasn't done any of that anyway. Um, mm. Huge, huge clown. Um, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really important um, that Satoshi be anonymous. I don't I don't think he's in the public eye either. I know that people try to figure out who he might be. I don't know whoever this guy is. Like, I I, I have this imagination. I have no evidence of this that he just like disappeared. Just totally disappeared. And I remember that when we were going through the coaching initially, I expected, I said this to laser huddle, I expected to read the yeah. white paper and get some sort I of remember. like mystical energy around it. Like, oh, just read there's something not right. Like not not right, but like something something no, but other. Maybe like an artificial intelligence. I remember you you said yeah. you expected that maybe it'd have that sort of vibe or something. And it it absolutely did not. It's like this was written, this was written by a man. Has a very clear, very, you know, style. It's very grounded. It doesn't. It it doesn't. It, it it was super grounded. And I think whoever that dude is, you know, I, I, I presume it's a dude, I guess, but it probably is. But um, just disappeared. And uh, and and I think it's really important that he did that because, you know, everyone would evaluate Bitcoin based on the the individual, 
psycho, you know, right. and, and there's no way at this point that any human being can live up to that. Like, what's he supposed to be like seven foot five and, you know, like right. ripped and, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like some sort of, I mean, whatever, he, he can't possibly satisfy everybody and forever his actions, the security, the safety, the stability, the network would be tied to his actions and, and choices. And, you know, for what Bitcoin is and what it represents, you know, I guess I speculate he must have known. And that's the that's the thing that's really crazy yeah. is that like he, he couldn't have known because you never know whether, the, whether your work is ever going to catch on. You can do something amazing and it may not catch on for reasons that have nothing to do with you. But I can't do a man that smart who synthesized that many different aspects and brought them all together and came up with a solution would have to know that like, yeah, I just have to I just have to disappear. I just have to disappear yeah. because if this becomes successful, you know, I, I it it will need to exist on its own without me. And there's something something kind of miraculous about that in a way that that level of insight oh. that I would want to stand up, not me, me, but like you could stand up and like, right. look, I made this thing, look how amazing I are. It's like, nope, you got to even walk away from that. Yeah. No, I agree. It's I, I think it's a beautiful story, like the actual and the fact that it's not a story story it's it's like the reality of, of what happened i think it's it's beautiful yeah cool okay so now to the question of what is your what is your favorite what is your favorite part about bitcoin uh, I, it's bitcoiners mm. like there's so many people i enjoy in the space like different takes some are super like goofy and and blah blah some are like super hard-ass numerical blah blah some are hardcore libertarians foul mood blah, blah. i mean there, there's like really very different flavors of of bitcoiners and mm -hmm. just like getting to uh peek into their minds uh you know through through their discourse on on twitter or podcasts or whatever for me has been a, a super rewarding journey i mean i it's 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 been really uh, a joy to to be exposed to that many intelligent people sort of trying to do their best to really grok this mm -hmm. as fully as possible and, and seeing how the grasp is never really quite wide enough but still you know like the process and the effort itself is, is wonderful Mm -hmm. That's pretty remarkable. That something that would seem so simple requires not just so much processing power in terms of the miners to, you know, to make the network go, but so much brain power in order to begin to understand it. It's a, it's it's like a festival, a festival of wonders to begin to explore the network. And so that's a really good answer. I was going to ask you to put some of these names together for, um, for the for the. Uh, the notes, the podcast notes on on YouTube and and on uh, like Spotify, but I, I think what I'd rather do is have people go and sign up for your mailing list, and and you can send them you can send them a list of those recommendations. <laughs> I'm on your mailing oh, list, so I'll get, idea. Thank yeah, you. I mean, yes. because that's the thing is is you know I would I, I want people to find the doorway in to Bitcoin, and then you know it's a house of many rooms. It's like the Renaissance of Men. It's way I I discover new rooms of the Renaissance of Men every day. In fact, I'm in the middle of discovering one right now and it's 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 too much for anyone for any one yeah. man to make the whole thing go there's so many different dimensions of it and bitcoin works the same way and you know the doorway in for people to begin finding the content creators that really appeal to them because different men will different men and women will be drawn to different things 
Oh, absolutely. And, and by the way, um, one of the things I do is a weekly newsletter, which my intention is to help people keep up with Bitcoin in say 15 minutes per week or something, which I mm -hmm. think is a reasonable ask, mm -hmm. right? Because I understand how people will balk at when I say, oh, this two-hour podcast is great. Right. Right. And then there's this other two, you know, it gets to be a lot. I get that. But um, I think 15 minutes a week is is reasonable. And usually the way I try to structure is just like what happened, you know, last week. And it's it's mostly based off of, of Twitter. So it's I'll like I put in some of the, what I think are the important tweets of the week into context and and then um, I offer some charts of you know what what seems to be happening with price, and I usually do like a deep dive of if you want to dig into a particular you know here's here's one if you want to dig in deeper here's one good conversation this week that you should mm -hmm. look at right, um, and if it's it's easy enough if you find any of the articles and it interesting to to go and dig and and spend more time, but. It's something that's easy to sort of look through and, and just keep up with what's going on in in the space, which I think is important because you know Bitcoin keeps moving and mm -hmm. we're we're still at the rate where things are happening. Uh, like American Express is now thinking of paying out their points uh, in Bitcoin, right? Sure. All right, so that's wow. a good deal. That's positive. So that yeah, so th those are the little things that it's it's nice to sort of keep up on or keep mm -hmm. up with. Well, I think that's great. Um, I think let's 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 leave it there and let uh, people continue the conversation with you. And uh, where can people go to find out more about you and and what you do? Thank you. So on Twitter, I am at l Bitcoin Coach, <laughs> and on the web, uh, you can find me at thebitcoin.coach. And those are the two best places to find me. Okay. Well, thank you so much for um, all the work that you put in, you know, preparing, preparing for this conversation, listening to later laser huddle podcasts ahead of time, taking some notes and, and being ready to answer some of the natural, um, the natural questions that would have come up from, um, from our, from our, what is the Bitcoin community calls it a rip, the five hour, five uh, hour, right. I've noticed that it's like, well, that's a rip. So the five, the five hour rip. And, uh, and I, I definitely encourage, um, everyone listening that if you're, um, if you're at zero with Bitcoin or an, an, uh, a novice at Bitcoin and you're looking for more information and to dive in more deeply, I recommend uh, Carlos and his work very highly because um, it transformed me. And now 18 months later, um, here I am. So thanks so much, Carlos. Thank you very much, Will. Uh, I really enjoyed this. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. 
Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.